Hello to everyone from the American Society of Public Administration in South Florida. Uh, I am Tom Holtz. I hope you're very, very uh, comfortable uh, wherever you are in your cars or your homes uh, listening to the latest uh, installment of uh, the ASPA Public Sector Works podcast. And uh, we have a couple of uh, we have a couple of great uh, guests uh, today. Uh, of course, our regular co-host, uh, uh, Bill Solomon. Uh, who uh, just came back from the Supreme Court, uh, and uh, uh, he's already he's already trying to hide under the desk. No, I'm just kidding. Hi, Bill. How you doing? I am good. Looking forward to talking with Siobhan today. Yes, um, and, and we're we're doing this on a Saturday, so I think that's kind of cool. We can be more relaxed. And we apologize to our Jewish uh, listeners who may be religious. Uh, uh, Bill, by the way, just became president of his synagogue. Well, no, he is going to be president of his synagogue. Uh, so he was at the Friday night service uh, yesterday. And uh, we're we're not going to ask him to daven for us. Uh, okay. But uh, yes, well, you're very welcome. But Bill, before we begin with our very, very special guest, uh, and she is Dr. Siobhan Ikelido. And uh, we're going to get into her background in a minute. Bill, uh, we have a couple of events coming up uh, in February and in March. Uh, February for our local ASPA, the Best Practices Conference, and March for National ASPA in Jacksonville, Florida. Can you tell us about that? Certainly. Um, The first event is February 18th. It is virtual. Uh, We have a platform through Event Titans, which I believe Tom will post on Podbean. Um, It's February 18th. It's 8 in the morning till 5. It is our 16th annual Best Practices Conference. And it just so happens I have a panel on leadership with four women mayors that starts at 1.30 on that day, um, including our county administrator, our county mayor, um, the, so it's a great event. We've really enjoyed doing this. We are doing it virtually on a big platform for the first time, um, mainly due to, uh, the pandemic and, uh, university restrictions, but the other one, the national ASPA conference is really a great, great, uh, conference. There will be, I think over a thousand people on at the conference, it's in Jacksonville, Florida, March 18th through the 22nd. Um, our own um, professor from Florida International University, Alan Rosenbaum, is the president of National ASPA. He's also served as the ASPA South Florida chapter president in the past. So it is a wonderful event. Uh, you can go online to ASPA net.org um and tom mm-hmm. will correct me but he'll give you the exact uh one on Podbean, and you can register um they look forward to they have international um folks coming on to that one and there are many many panels of varied interests and that's it and that's great and we will also have that information up on the linkedin uh Aspen south florida uh website which we uh, which i will give you uh, once we um, once we 
get this podcast up there, which uh, should be within the next couple of days. And uh, we we certainly encourage uh, uh, online attendance uh, in February. And uh, if uh, if you're the in person conference, ought to be ought to be really slam, slam bang. Uh, but, uh, this, so this will be on, uh, all the current, uh, <clears throat> as well as I probably our local, uh, chapter, uh, website. So, uh, this will be a, um, this will, the, these two, uh, are something not to be missed. And thank you, Bill, for that great recitation, uh, on that. And now we come to the, we come to the 15 minutes of fame that we're going to record Dr. Shivani Kalido. And Shivan is a uh, core professor at North Central University uh, for the uh, PhD uh, business program at the business school. Just happens to be my first ever professor when I started, when I started there. Uh, Shivan's training background is extremely um, detailed and uh she is uh she did work at the American College of Surgeons uh in the uh in the training and development area uh her phd is in uh help me out Siobhan. you're in uh training development industrial industrial organization what is organization that? development and my methodology was organization uh excuse me um organizational learning theory <laughs> organizational learning theory okay and i'm looking at that great bio of her right now um <clears throat> you received your bachelor's degree in business management your bsc from cornerstone university and you went on to earn your mba from benedictine university and you also got your phd in organizational development with a methodolo- methodological focus or uh, on organizational learning theory and leadership also at Benedictine. And you're a member of the International Academy of Management and its five subsidiaries. And currently, you are Director of Business Operations for PowerSpeak Incorporated. Um, you, you handle almost everything there, but why don't you <laughs> tell us about what you do there? Yeah, so thank you for the introduction, um, Tom, Um, Mm -hmm. and it's nice to meet you, Bill. Thank you for having me on this podcast. Um, So yeah, in a nutshell, um, you basically gave a really great introduction. I'm a core professor at North Central University. Um, I teach operations, business management. Um, I actually teach DBA and PhD students, as well as MBA students, Um, finance, operations, business, organizational learning, so on and so forth. Um, I also work for Power Speaking Incorporated, which is a communications learning organization. So um, right now I run all of our operations, all of our business operations, uh, finance and accounting, uh, HR, um, technology, um, IT and security, um, diversity and equity and inclusion. So I, I do run a lot, as you stated before, <laughs> um, but it's, it's something that I'm very passionate about. Um, prior to that, I worked at the American College of Surgeons, as you stated, and I actually was a business manager there for the trauma department. So I ran all of the financial operations, budget management, ah. business operations there as well. However, um, I also was the um, organizational leadership trainer. So I taught uh, leadership um, type courses to junior leaders um, who wanted to grow in the careers um, and actually started that as part of my dissertation with Benedictine University. So it was an action research 
um, theoretical um, framework uh, that I've been there. A quite consummate background, and uh, you're certainly to be commended for spreading out from the original training and organizational development interests that you had to all the other aspects in the financial HR areas. Uh, you're, a, you're, a, you're a jack of all trades and I'm sure master of all of them uh, <laughs> at, this particular, at this particular point. Siobhan, what got you, what, what was the flame that you caught on to that uh, inspired the passion uh, in terms of uh, in terms of getting into training, how did you you know how did that how did you get interested in it, and how did you follow through? Yeah, so you know I wasn't interested in it originally. I didn't even really understand or know what it was. Um, I was really more into the financial aspect of fifteen years of finance that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was working on my PhD, I went to Benedictine University as I stated before, more traditional. Um, schooling uh it was in class I had to go all the time (laughs) um I originally was going to do my dissertation on building black businesses and 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 I went to Africa to study the differences between um why black businesses in America do not really um last why don't why don't they why do they fail at higher rates than any other group of people mm-hmm. and then compare that to African businesses and, and why they prosper based on culture. So I went there, I went to Ethiopia, spent 10 days there, went to conferences, gave papers and, and, and did some research, um, came back and, and realized that this is a big project. And, and our chair of our department said, you know what, a good dissertation is a, is a done dissertation, right? Um, trying to get done with my PhD. Um, <laughs> I, I, I figured, what else can I do? Like, what else can I do? And I still want to do this. This is a passion of mine. I'm going to get this done postdoctorate. But what can I do right now to get finished? And I needed to find something that was a passion project because, you know, you don't want to work on something and be a PhD student for six years. You want it, you know, want it to get done. Right. Um, and as I'm researching and, and, you know, working with different aspects of my organization, I, I realized we were giving promotions to some people who didn't have that management background, weren't leaders. Um, some people who wanted to be leaders, but didn't have that leadership uh, quality about them. And so I figured, you know, maybe what we need is someone to come in and train our junior leaders or those who want to do, do better within their careers. And, and I think from there, I already was kind of a transformative leader. I always uh, worked with my you know, staff to develop the careers and, and help them, um, you know, grow in, in their academics and things like that. So I think that's where it kind of started. I went to our head of HR and, and discussed what I wanted to do in terms of creating these courses and also speaking to my professors and saying, hey, can I do this as action research? Um, as I started doing those courses and, and I put together a pretty large module and um, I worked with another staff member who uh, who has a lot of you know background in organizational learning as well. Uh, we put together a very robust training program um, on top of the things that we were already doing. So teaching them um, leadership one on one, how to be a leader, um, decision making, communication skills, uh, project management, just really growing in that career, and then being able to observe how they are afterwards and that's part of that action research and having people observe them and their managers observe them and their staff members observe them and 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 things like that so from there 
I think it's just that passion grew, um, understanding that organizational learning theory was really shaping how the organization can change based on on that new found knowledge. Um, and, and that's what kept me there. Now, when I was, t- it was time for me to leave that organization and move on to another organization, I really wanted to still stay within that learning environment. Um, so that's why I'm at Power Speaking. Although I'm not uh, a facilitator, a consultant on that end, um, I still help with strategy and training and strategy and learning and, and cr- making sure that the organization is sustainable um, and, and consult in that way. Um, and still running, of course, the HR and, and the security and the operations and things like that. So it's very robust, but I think all together, it, it all ties together and, and, and continuously you know, I, I still love training in general, and I'm also still a professor. So something sure. I, I very much have uh, a well, lot you have of a full plate. You have a full plate. There's no yeah. doubt. Yeah. And I know that whenever I try to contact you, I know already I'm going to wait for the answer uh, <laughs> because you've got, because, you know, no, you've got your students and so forth. And you've also got, uh, and through you, I've learned an enormous amount about the academic process. Uh, as well as research, uh, Siobhan and I did some uh, some research collaboration, and uh, you're par excellence in that field as well. Uh, but um, so let me ask you about best practices. And what we're trying to do is when we speak to pr- uh, private industry uh, giants like yourself or, or will be giants, uh, we are trying to um, get the best practices of private industry and transfer them uh, to uh, to public sector practice. Uh, it is it, it is my belief that both should take from each other, uh, especially now. Uh, and of course, you know, COVID COVID was a great example with pharmaceuticals, where the private industry were able to work with government in terms of getting the vaccines and so forth. That's a that's one big example, but in but in your area in training, HR, financial, what are your best practices in private sector that you like to apply to your current organization? And let's hear you talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to. I mean, I think for it depends on what we're talking about. I think if we're talking about continuing on with training and, and making sure that. Uh, that you know your staff and your employees are well equipped for their next roles. I think it's important that there's a continuous line of of education and training that's available to to staff members and that growth of uh, professional development. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that's in any sector. I mean, I think sure. that that should be important. Now, I know that I have a family who works in the public sector, and um, yes, they sister. have things available to them. But I think it's not uh, as prevalent, and I think it's also um, not as, as put out there. So I, I know that, you know, you know, for what we have going on, because we're such, we're, first of all, we're a very small organization. And then also, I think, um, um, understanding that, first of all, we're a training organization. So we know that it's important for employees to continue on with that professional development. I'm not sure if it's as relevant in the public sector. Um, how long have I you been around? How long have you been around? And how long has Poverty been around? Uh, 36 years. Wow. That's, yeah, that's a while. That's yeah. a while. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, that understanding is there and I think the best practices is always to, to make sure that that's available for employees to, to make sure that that professional development is there, regardless of it's, uh, you know, leadership training, if it's 
let's all do a course in public, you know, uh, you know, uh, program management. Um, you know, so I think uh, it's it's important um, on all sectors to continue on with that. Um, if I'm in finance and I say, well, I don't know if I understand Excel, make sure that that's available to your team. Um, so I think that's that should be a big best practice. I'm going to let Bill chime on, on this because that's completely on point. Bill was just telling me about something before uh, uh, regarding your your students, Bill, that you want to get. You want to talk about that for a minute, Bill? Sure. Um, what I was talking about before we started the podcast was I worked for government for 37 years in the public sector and often had the opportunity to uh, interview prospective employees. And um, I, of course, love MPA students, especially for the higher level positions. But I would ask questions or we would also do like quick practical exams during the um, interview process. And you mentioned Excel. That's why it's perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of them didn't know how to set it up or do it or even to- do it some total uh, on a very simple example that they were each given. They also didn't know how to write a business letter, believe it or not, uh, or spell or use grammar. So I've harped on that for years. But, you know, that does bring me to my one of my questions. Um, what important elective or core courses would you suggest be included in a student's curriculum to assist them in obtaining future employment? Yes, that's a good question. I've seen it from both sides, from the academic side, from the practitioner side, right? So we're working with employees and having staff members and having managers or bosses that weren't great at maybe writing skills. Um, So of course, I think writing, uh, you know, just business writing, there's so many business writing courses out there, business writing, business communications, being able to speak or present uh, at meetings uh, or have conversations with, you know, their executives and their managers and their staff members, having those leadership skills. I had a manager or director of a department who was not the greatest at being a leader, but she was extremely smart and knew her stuff but uh, not really as a leader. And I think, you know, that maybe that leadership course could have helped her out. You know, I think her background was marketing. And so I don't know if they, they probably didn't have leadership classes, you know? So I think those Mm -hmm. should be core um, courses, as you stated, you know, Excel and Word, being able to use, you know, the Microsoft suite, Um, you know, now Zoom, you know, it's very prevalent these days. Um, So I think it just should be like, you know, the everyday, um, job you know what do you what do you what do we do at the on the job how do we write papers how do we write letters how do we send emails and how should the email be worded um you know how to you know looking at grammar and 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 diction and things like that so I think that's all very important I think it's if if not have it if there's people who don't have that in school or did not go to school I think it should be available at the job um and that's Hopefully, you know, they know enough to get to the job, you know, but I, I think it's important for that to be available. <laughs> I, I will tell you that uh, that uh, from the, on the academic standpoint, because I was fortunate enough to uh, be an adjunct and teach business communications uh, during the fall at Stephen F. Lawson State University online. And I couldn't agree with you more that I was uh, surprised 
to find uh, the the paucity of knowledge that a good number of the students had. Uh, well, now this was a required course, and so students not having a business major had to take this course. Uh, and once again, it talks about how do you compose a business letter? How do you compose an email? Uh, what are, what are positive messages, neutral messages and negative, uh, or sorry messages as my ex-boss and personnel used to call them. <laughs> happy, happy messages were congratulations. You got the job. Sorry messages were sorry. Uh, but how to, how to compose them and the inductive approach versus the deductive approach. I'm not going to get into a whole lecture, but there is a concerted effort. Come on, Bill. Don't get up and walk out. Come on. There is a concerted effort on the part of uh, certain universities, I can't speak for all of them, to try and make up to try and make up for this gap on the undergraduate level. Uh, but once again, on the, on the on the other side of that, the business level, and there are many many uh, people in business who came up through OJT on the job training, and uh, they figure, well, what do I need to go to school for? You know, stuff that uh, I'm dating myself, but we learned business letters. I mean, I don't know about you, Bill, but I learned business because Siobhan is a very, is is a young and youthful as compared to our middle-aged approach. But I learned it in fourth grade. I learned how to write a letter in fourth grade. When did you, when did you learn to write uh, letters, Bill? Uh, how, how, how far back? When you're um, well, in South Florida, you know, they taught us how to write, but the actual business letters didn't come about until about ninth grade. For me, and then it, then it was consistent from then on. Um, so it's not only the writing capability and the grammar. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Siobhan mentioned it, and it's really important: is being able to handle public speaking. Yep. Um, yep. Oftentimes, managers have to go out and they have to present to the public. If you're in the yep. public sector, we had to do that all the time. Um, or run a meeting of a large group and have an agenda and follow it. People don't know that just by doing Incredible. it. They they learn, hopefully, by being taught or seeing others do it and do it well. I found that to be an incredible eye opener. So, Siobhan, you mentioned uh, the, you know, the, the need for uh, recognition of training, I, I think, throughout all sectors. I think private sector uh, takes it uh, more seriously now than they, than, they, uh, than they used to. But public sector, I think there's still a need, uh, you know, uh, people, employees will come to these, oh, my God, it's taking me away from my job. It's taking me away from my meetings. It's taking me away from, you know, what do I need? And then, of course, it's incumbent upon the trainer to demonstrate uh, engagement, to demonstrate accessibility, and to demonstrate empathy. But it makes it harder on the trainer. Bill, I'm sorry, you're going to say something? No, no, I've just got another question, the other one I wanted to ask. Please ask your question. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry, Siobhan, do you have any further comments on uh, the what we were talking about uh, finance we talked finance any of your other areas can you can you talk about best practices uh, that you can think of um yeah I think um, I mean I think in all of them I think if we're talking about training and aspect we I think it's important to, to make sure that that the line is open for everything so for HR if I feel like I need I just actually took a training um, on or onboarding because I okay. want to make sure that I was up to date on that. So I think it's always okay. important to continue on with training within the aspect of what you do. And I think that's probably the best practice that you could do. 
Very of good. course, being open and transformative as you're you're doing your your organization your position, but Very always good. staying afloat of, of the updates and making sure that your mind is still intact with all of that. Yes, it's a lot. Bill, go ahead. What's your what's yeah. the other question? That you have? Um, now it's good that she just mentioned that because as an attorney, we have to do continuing legal education, um, going to conferences, learning about new ideas that can be brought back to your place of employment, I've always recommended. I, you know, students of mine have done that and they show their their bosses, wow, this is a good idea. And a lot of them end up getting promoted down the road. But that's all the more reason to look for new ideas because not all the ones we've been doing are the right ones. Times change. Um, So I'm going to ask you just uh, another question, because we deal with students, we deal with those that are employed. Um, What are your suggestions to students on how to best handle working a full-time job and also uh, tackling a degree program? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And I had to do that with all three degrees. It's it's not easy, especially with that last one, because PhD wasn't easy (laughs) at all. Um, (laughs) Time knows. (laughs) Um, I think it's just, I think it's very important first to have a goal. Um, what is your goal, uh, with your, with your, your company, what you work at, you know, usually I I put together usually like a quarterly goal. What am I doing? How I'm going to fulfill what I need to fulfill. And I have that conversation with my manager so they know what I need to fulfill and how I'm going to get that done within that goal. And then also what's my goal with, with school, you know, um, of course, getting your papers done on time, but what is my goal in completing certain steps? So when I'm going to, when am I going to finish my comp test or qualification exams? And and what is my date cutoff time for that? When am I going to finish my research? I was second in my class to finish my uh, research and get my PhD in and actually defend. Um, Out of, I think it was 16 of us. And I think there's still a few people kind of lingering. I finished in 2019. So I think there's still a few people lingering through because, you know, you can take your time with it really. and, and I really, and uh, so, you know, really having solo set goals is first very much important. Now, there are times when it gets extremely overwhelming and, and it's really sometimes feels like you're not able to get it all done at once, especially during exam times and say it's budget time at work and it's really, you know, or the end of the, the fiscal year and you're really trying to get things done. So I think it's keeping that line of communication open with your managers, with your professors and saying, okay, I'm a little overwhelmed you know, can you work with me? Sometimes professors will, sometimes they won't, sometimes managers will and they won't. But I think having that line of communication open is important. Um, I know that some people don't like to tell their management if they were in school and that's fine too. Um, uh, But I think it is helpful if you have an organization that's open for education. Nowadays, more organizations are very open uh, for their staff members to actually grow. Um, So if that's the case, I think keeping that line of communication is, is very important. Also, eat healthy. It's extremely important. Have that full breakfast, eat healthy, drink a lot of water, get your rest. I think that's important too, because yep. you want to make sure, and then stay active, get your walks, things like that. I think it helps keep the brain motivated and 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 um, that extremely helps. Now, there, there was one time, um, I think, towards the end of coursework, where it, of course, the most... Uh, the, the hardest part of the whole program where we were trying to get the last of the, the papers in and, and you only have so much time and, 
and you're trying to think of your idea and, and you just get overwhelmed. And, and there was a time that I got so overwhelmed that I just had the worst headaches and I had to go to the emergency room and oh I God. still had to go to work. And I just had to give myself a break. Um, I had to give yeah. myself a good two, three day break and just sleep. Um, and sometimes you just have to do that too. Uh, and you just be realistic. Sometimes it's just really hard to get it done. Um, but if I go back and look at my goals, I have to get up and do this and just set my mind to it. Um, and I think that that that's very helpful. Um, get your rest, eat healthy, um, and and set goals. You know, I think it's great to be passionate, uh, and of course, uh, Siobhan knows my passion uh, academically during the program. But one of the things I've learned over the two years since I started this is to control your passion. That is one of the hardest, hardest things to do because you wind up taking on more. Your passion makes you take on more than you really should. Uh, I was involved in research and I was trying to set up an active research component of the school. And when Siobhan was very, very helpful with me regarding that. Uh, in addition to the in addition to the coursework, in addition to uh, you know, in addition to personal, you know, I mean, work life balance is extremely important, not just in the business aspect, but it's also in the school aspect. You really need because a lot of people forget that this is work, even though you're not being paid for this work. You're paying academe for the work, but writing papers. Uh, have, you know, getting involved in research, all this thing, this is work. And so it's a work-life balance of another sort, only it's, we're talking about academe now as opposed to, and the Siobhan recommended get, you know, get outside, take a walk, you know, smell the coffee, um, you know, eat healthy, lots of coffee. get sleep. I, I had to decompress because of two years of, I was like putting everything into it. And I just said, Oh, time to decompress and, and this is this past month or so or two have been very very helpful so I, I i must agree with you um i do have uh also a, a question this happens to be black history month and uh siobhan uh and i didn't know you went to africa that is extremely interesting where in africa did you go to to to, to look for to look for this where in i was africa? in ethiopia well, you were in uh, Ethiopia. Addis Ababa, yeah. So I was in their uh, Addis Ababa, which is their sure. Uh, capital. Sure, the capital. Yeah. Origins. Yeah. Yes. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, so I, I'm going to say, in terms of Black History Month, uh, and we discussed this uh, 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 briefly before the podcast. Um, you uh, and you're into diversity and inclusion. Uh, extremely. So I'd like to ask you about the efforts that you've made in diversity and inclusion. And I know that you've been on conferences and so forth regarding that. Tell us, uh, tell us a little about that and uh, uh, how your, um, how the experience uh, that you, in terms of your journey has, uh, has contributed to furtherance of the, of the knowledge of diversity inclusion and how you're able to apply that to best practice. That's a, that's a, that's a mouthful. <laughs> that's okay. So actually I started with diversity and inclusion way back. I think I was just out of undergrad and I started with, uh, the NAACP in Kalamazoo, Michigan. That's where I was originally from. Mm-hmm. Um, and just going to a few meetings and understanding, you know, what's out there. Um, and then when I moved to Chicago, um, I didn't really 
hear much about uh, what was going on um, and, and companies weren't really putting it out there just yet. It really got big, I think, with George Floyd's murder and um, within organizations, mm. right? So when I was at the American College of Surgeons, that's when that happened. And our executive director was like, we're going to, we, we need to do more. We realize that um, that our company is is not really helping with with something that could be really affecting the world, you know? American College of Surgeons is a, is a pretty big um, non-for-profit and uh, uh, sure. it's not, you know, it's the most diverse place, not diverse at all, really. Um, yeah. And so um, he started the initiative of, you know, first having volunteers come about and, and we put together different programs. And I became one of the, the main leaders of that program, putting together safe space, uh, safe space uh, groups, um, putting together um just other programs for training of diversity and equity and inclusion and, and giving presentations to the whole company myself and what I've, what I've found and what I've researched and what I've understood and what I've learned and what I wanted to bring to the organization. And that helped me to grow in diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, realizing that diversity could mean so many different aspects. It's age, it's race, it's background, it's, uh, you know, your, your education, it's, you know, it's, everything you know and Mm -hmm. with so many different aspects of our divisions and and things that's happening in the world I think it's important that we come together in many different aspects and that's how an organization can grow right we all have different backgrounds and different ideas based on experiences that we have been through and I think they can help really build organizations um I've had so something happened to me uh, right before they started that that got me uh, so involved that I wanted to be kind of the lead where um, I was walking down the street and some guy asked me for some money for his cup and I didn't have any cash. So I just, you know, of course you just keep walking past. So you don't have to be bothered too much. And he called me the N word. And it was in front of so many kids and families. It was, you know, I live in Chicago and it was right downtown and it was so embarrassing. And yeah. I just walked, I just kept walking. I looked at him really fast. And I was like, I cannot believe that just happened. This is 2000. And I think that was 2020. Like, wow. what's going on here? Wow. And I uh, went back to my office and, you know, you shouldn't let things like that affect you, but it does. And I cried and I closed my door and I called my mom and uh, I spoke to one person in the office and, and I just was ready to go home and you shouldn't let that word affect you. But sometimes it does because you're like, I feel like we worked really, really hard. And I'm in sitting in my own office. I know I'm not ignorant. You know, I have my education. I have my job. I have my experience. And I feel like I'm a good person. So why did he call me that? I didn't have cash on me. I apologize, but I can't give cash to everybody. And, and so I just, you know, it was just hard to take in. Um, and so when, when, when our executive director decided to put this together, I was like, we need a safe space. We need somewhere where if something like this happens, we can come together and have conversation and, because it's happened at work, I didn't want to seem like the crybaby or the the black girl who's crying again or something like that. So I said, we need something where if we feel a certain way, we can all just come together and just just have that conversation. When um, you know January 6th happened, we all got together and we had that conversation, but I had to really put this program together so everyone felt safe and confident. We thought we we're going to get about 10 people come to the first program. 150 people showed up out of the whole company. It was amazing. And everyone just loved to listen. And we asked for surveys and got nothing but great feedback because everyone's able to share and, or just listen and learn. And that was 
extremely big for me. And I think um, it helped a lot of other people who've dealt with other things similar and also things that happen in the world that you're like, we just need to talk. Um, and then when I left there, I came to um, power speaking and uh, just, just, just took the, you know, horns by the reins and just came in and, and uh, I felt like I worked with the CEO and helped her find a consultant right away. And we really just been to working and, and really building the DEI for this smaller organization that's been here 30 years. Uh, there's a lot of work still to be done, um, but it's very much a passion of mine to make sure that, uh, one, that we bring more diversity in our organization, and two, that we make sure that everyone feels included in what they want to bring to the organization and what they want to say and, and very much be heard. I appreciate, uh, and I'm sure Bill does as well, the personal story that you shared uh, with us. It's not an easy thing to talk about. And if, uh, if, if, if I may interpose, I think if there was any ignorance involved, it was not on your part. It was on the part of the person that accosted you. And uh, this is the kind of thing that is a continuous battle uh, because uh, due to a combination of naive of naivete, ignorance, and uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, the racial racial discrimination uh, or discrimination of any type that has uh, perv- that we have been pervaded with uh, for for many many years. Um, I mean, I can tell you from my standpoint, uh, you know, anti-Semitism. I had one instance of it in New York, which is predominantly Jewish, but I'll never forget it. Uh, you know, and uh, I was I complained, and this was in public sector, and I never told Bill about it. And uh, it was a it was unfortunately an African American holy roller uh, type who uh, you know who was. Uh, you know, frankly, envious of uh, talents and, you know, and had all the ethical stereotypes regarding, you know, the, you know, Jewish people being into the money and into small, you know, and, and, you know, and who are they and blah, blah, blah. And do you know, it is kind of a reverse kind of thing that uh, the majority of the office was predominantly black uh, and they believed him. They did not believe me. Uh, my supervisor um, happened, uh, you know, my supervisor who was white, but and, and he didn't know one way or the other, but he he went to him and uh, the guy took him by the hand forcibly. And as soon as that happened, everything changed. You know, it took a it took an aggressive move on the part of that person uh, to make them realize that I was telling the truth. And uh my second line supervisor, when he heard of that, and he originally didn't believe it either, and then he said, "Well, now I believe. Now I believe Tom." This is the kind of thing that is, Siobhan. My experience is, is that this is the kind of thing that uh, it, it shouldn't happen to, to. It shouldn't happen to you. It shouldn't happen to me. It shouldn't happen to people. And I think the only way we're going to get through this is by communication, such as you've espoused and uh, the efforts that you've made uh, in terms of promoting the fact that 
uh, I quote from Star Trek, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. That was uh, something from the Star Trek era of many years ago. And, and Bill is laughing, uh, which, which combined to promote truth and beauty. And Bill is like, what the hell is he talking about? But, but, in, but, in, but this is actually a manifestation, uh, be, it, be it from the love generation of the 60s, but it's a manifestation of what we really need today. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the because you're more of an expert than I am. But uh, I am so sorry that you went. I remember you telling me about this for something else, and I rem, and, and I am so sorry that you went through that because you didn't deserve it, and nobody deserves it. So I'm now going to get off my high horse and ask you, uh, Siobhan, uh if uh, there's anything further you'd like to talk about that we haven't covered, or if you have any kind of like final final observations on what we've spoken about um i don't think so i think um earlier you mentioned you know the importance of you know the black history month and and uh uh the importance of dei and organizations and and i think that's important but i think also dei in general is important but if we're going to get into black history month i think it's important too that we continue on um remembering um the Black people who have, have come before us, who've paved the way to make sure that I'm able to be a professor and able to uh, have the job that I have and be able to be on uh, this this podcast with you. And, and, and I think it's important that we we, rec- we remember them and continue on um, researching and, and, and learning. Thank you, uh, Siobhan. It was a pleasure to have you on here today. Bill, do you have any final thoughts? Only that uh, I agree with you, Siobhan, you've been great, um, a, an extremely well-rounded person. You've done a lot of things that would aid anybody um, in positions um, in business and in the public sector, because uh, we are alike in a lot of ways. So yep. I'd like to thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank you also. And uh, everybody uh, out there, thank you very, very much for listening uh, to Dr. Siobhan Ecolito. Um, if uh, I'm going to put this out there, if uh, there's anybody that's interesting, interested in contacting her on a professional level, uh, please reach out to, uh, please, re- please reach out once this is on the Aspen South Florida website in the comment or something and I'll, and I'll interface and, uh, you know, we'll see because this is a, a bilateral, uh, this is a bilateral effort. Not only is it an effort on our part to, um, you know, to disseminate, but it is uh, something which uh, is shared by uh, Siobhan and her effort uh, in terms of power speak, uh, which deals in uh, communication uh, con- uh, presentations and consultant presentations, uh, both online and out in the field, uh, regarding important topics such as these. So once again, uh, from uh, sunny South Florida, and we hope the rest of you are, uh, are going through the storms with a plum uh, that won't be lasting for long. We thank you, and we'll be back uh, next month uh, with another with another speaker. And uh, so, take care, take care, all of you. And uh, Bill, say good night. Good night, Gracie. And Siobhan, say good night. Good night. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Take care, all of you. And we're now signing off. Be well.